evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 14, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Well, that's just an analogy. Jesus teaches by analogies all the time. If you have two blind men walking through a pasture, they come up on a ditch, what's likely to happen? Well, they're probably going to fall in. One of them needs to be able to see to say, hey, let's go around this ditch or let's go over the bridge. Well, what's the parallel that Jesus is making spiritually? That blind leader represents the false religious teacher. That blind follower represents us if we allow that false t religious teacher to lead us astray. Well, what does the ditch represent? Well, that would be H-E-L, the bad place, being lost. A lot of people may think, well, I'm supposed to follow my pastor. If he's teaching something wrong, he'll be held accountable for that, but not me. I'm supposed to follow him. No, if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall in the ditch. We'll both be lost. So it's very, very important that we study the Bible for ourselves to make sure that we're not following false teaching. Well, isn't that what we see so highly commended in Acts 17, verse 11? Verse 10 of Acts 17 says, Paul and Silas are preaching. You'd think people could accept what Paul said, taught blindly. I mean, he's one of the main apostles. But verse 11 says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They're highly commended because they didn't just accept what Paul said blindly. Instead, they compared what Paul taught to what the Bible says. Because we know the Bible is right. It comes from God. But what men, even Pat Donahue, can be wrong. So you need to make sure that anybody that's teaching Christianity, the Bible, they need to prove what they're saying by book, chapter, and verse. If they don't prove it, then they may or may not be teaching the truth. And you should just let it go through one ear and out the other. It's that important. Don't become a blind follower of a blind leader because you're going to end up being lost, falling into the ditch, just like him. It's important that we study the Bible for ourselves and make sure that our beliefs and our practices line up with what the Scriptures say. You know, Jesus said in John 8, 32, only the truth will set us free from sin. False teaching won't do it. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. 877-655-6755. But if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk about the difference in predestination and foreknowledge. The Bible talks about both of those things, predestination and foreknowledge. Predestination is basically when God causes something to happen. Foreknowledge is when he doesn't cause it to happen. He doesn't make it happen. He just knows ahead of time that it's going to happen. So a man could do something by free will choice, and he has free will choice, make a choice. He's not controlled by God, but God can know ahead of time what he's going to choose. That's foreknowledge. Or God could control something. We'll talk about some examples in a minute. I wanted to read, to start off with, about Simeon in Luke 2.26, because I think it's a good example to start us off talking about this difference. Luke 2.26, talking about Simeon, says, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Huh. I think that illustrates well the difference between predestination and foreknowledge, which is called determinate counsel and foreknowledge in Acts 2.23. Simeon, is, it's been prophesied that he would not taste of death till he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
Well, the fact that that was prophesied that he would not die till he'd seen Jesus, does that mean Simeon could just go jump off a cliff and God would protect him? He would just glide down like a bird to safety? What said that he's gonna he's not gonna die till Jesus till he sees Jesus. So before he sees Jesus, could he just go jump off a cliff and God's gonna protect him to make sure he doesn't die? Is that what that passage means? Or does it mean that God knew ahead of time that Simeon wouldn't be jumping off any cliffs? Which one? He could just jump off a cliff and God would protect him because God has prophesied that he wouldn't die till he'd seen Jesus? Or does it mean God could look into the future and tell that Simeon was still going to be alive, that he wouldn't be jumping off any cliffs before he saw Jesus? I think we all know the latter is the truth of the matter. See, God could prophesy that it was through foreknowledge, not predestination. He wasn't causing it to be true that Simeon would still be alive when he saw when Jesus came. He was not causing that, forcing that to happen. He could just, everybody had free will choice. Simeon had a free will choice. He could jump off a cliff if he wanted to. But God could look into the future and could tell that he wasn't going to do that. He could look into the future. God is that smart. This is similar to Jesus knowing ahead of time that Judas would be the betrayer. John 13, 21, 26. Matthew 26, 21 and 25. Jesus knew ahead of time that Judas would be the betrayer of Jesus, but that doesn't mean God forced Judas to betray Jesus. That Judas didn't have a free will choice in the matter. Didn't mean that. Likewise, Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him three times, Matthew 26, 34. But this doesn't mean that Peter was forced to betray, to deny Jesus in order to fulfill that prophecy, was it? God prophesied that Peter would deny Jesus three times. Well, somebody might say, well, God must have forced Peter to deny him or else that prophecy wouldn't have come true. No, the truth is Peter had free will choice. He chose of his own free will to deny Christ, and God was smart enough, had enough wisdom to know Peter enough to be able to predict accurately before Peter did it that he was going to do that without forcing Peter to do it. So Judas betrayed Jesus. That was predicted ahead of time, but God didn't force him. God didn't force Peter to deny Jesus three times, but God just predicted ahead of time that he would do it. God never forces people to sin. Judas, Peter, or anybody else, he never even tempts people to sin, much less forces them to sin. James 1, verse 3. One other human illustration. When my son Wesley, who was about to turn 21, when he was 10 years old, about that, I knew that every day when I got home from work that he was going to ask me to play ping pong. I knew that. Well, because he had asked me for 100 straight days to play ping pong, and we'd have played ping pong every day I got home from work. Pretty much every day for 100 straight days, I knew he was going to ask me to play ping pong when I got home from work. Did I force him? No. He had his his own free will choice. Wesley wanted to play ping pong. He chose that he wanted to play ping pong. So he asked me to play ping pong every day for about five years. Every day I got home from work. I didn't force him to do that. I just knew that he would based upon past patterns. Well, if I can predict with 95% accuracy, let's say that Wesley, my son, is going to ask me to play ping pong, When I get home from work, don't you think God is smart enough to predict with accuracy 100%? I didn't force Wesley to do that. And God doesn't have to force people to do things in order to predict with 100% accuracy what they're going to do. Do you see the difference in predestination and foreknowledge? We're talking about foreknowledge here. On the other hand, predestination is when God causes something to happen. 
It's not just that he can look into the future and predict it with 100% accuracy. That's foreknowledge. He doesn't force it to happen. Everybody has free will choice. He still can predict what they're going to do, even though they have a free will choice. Predestination is when God causes something to happen. For example, the virgin birth of Jesus is a good example of that. It wasn't just that God knew ahead of time something was going to happen without making it happen. No. Without God's direct miraculous intervention, a virgin birth can never happen. He can't just look into the future and say, there's going to be a virgin that's going to conceive. He can't do that. Virgins don't conceive in the normal case. He had to cause that to happen with direct miraculous intervention. He didn't just look into the future and know it was going to happen. He caused it to happen. He predestinated. You see, predestination is when God forces something to happen to carry out his plan. Foreknowledge is when not that he forces it. He just knows that somebody's going to do something of their own free will and perhaps uses that to carry out his plan. He knew Judas was going to portray Jesus. He didn't force Judas. As I said, he doesn't even tempt people to sin, much less force them to sin. He knew Judas was going to portray him, and that was a key part of God's plan that Jesus would come and die on the cross for, his sin, for our sins. Somebody was going to betray. Judas was going to betray Jesus. That was part of the plan. He didn't force Judas to do that. He just knew he was going to do it. God can know what you're going to do if he wants to ahead of time, and he can use that to accomplish his purposes if he wants to. He does whatever he wants to. He's smart enough to predict the future. You see the difference between predestination and foreknowledge? Now, the Calvinists, who like, like, like to talk about predestination a lot, they don't believe that God is smart enough to predict something is going to happen with 100% certainty without forcing that something to happen. They don't really believe in foreknowledge. They believe everything that God could predict in the future, God's going to have to force it. You see, they don't really believe in the sovereignty of God. They don't really believe that God is as smart as he really is. They don't believe God has the ability to predict something's going to happen without forcing it to happen. No, God is smart enough, just like me. I'm smart. I was smart enough to know with 95% accuracy that Wesley was going to ask me to play ping pong every day when I got home from work. If I'm smart enough to understand Wesley based upon his past patterns, what he's going to do when I get home from work with 95% accuracy, and of course God is has enough talent, enough wisdom, enough smarts to predict things with 100% accuracy without causing them to happen. I didn't force Wesley to ask me to play ping pong. I just knew he would. God didn't force Judas to portray Jesus. He didn't force Peter to deny Jesus. He just knew that they would. He predicted they would. That didn't mean that they had to. No, they did that of their own free will. They didn't choose to betray or deny Jesus because God prophesied it. No, the exact opposite is true. God prophesied it because they were going to do it. He could look into the future and tell that they were going to do it without forcing it. Do you see the difference in predestination and foreknowledge? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Let me repeat that number once again because the lines are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Now, I mentioned the Calvinists. You know, there's a little acrostic that represents, in a short way, the Calvinistic teaching. TULIP. T for total depravity. U for unconditional election. L for limited atonement. I for irresistible grace. P for perseverance of the saints. But the idea that Calvinists have about predestination, that God causes everything to happen, 
including if you stub your toe, that God calls that to happen before the foundation of the world. That version of predestination is not taught by the Bible. Uh, uh, where is that? Since the Calvinists are big on that false idea of predestination, where is it in Tulip? There's no P in there for predestination. No, predestination there is in that key point U for unconditional election. So if God determined before the foundation of the world, then I'm going to be saved and you're going to be lost and there's nothing we can do about it. That would mean salvation is unconditional. It doesn't matter what I do, what conditions I meet or I don't meet, I'm going to be saved. doesn't matter what conditions you meet or don't meet, you're going to be lost. So what they mean by unconditional election in Tulip is this their idea of predestination. Now, the Bible talks about predestination, but not the Calvinist version of predestination. Okay? We can prove their version of predestination is false so easily. So easily. Because their version of predestination that God predetermines before the foundation of the world who's going to be saved and who's not, meaning salvation is unconditional, the you and tulip, is so easily proven wrong. For example, the most famous verse in the Bible proves conclusively that salvation is conditional, not unconditional. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God... Love the whole world, not just the elect, not just the saved. Jesus died for everybody, according to that verse. That that destroys the L in Tulip, limited atonement. But it says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Doesn't that clearly show that the salvation that God has made possible for everybody, because Jesus, he loved the whole world, Jesus died for everybody, that is conditioned upon whether or not we believe or not, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish? That's clear. Salvation is conditioned upon us believing in Christ. The most famous verse in the Bible clearly teaches that. And since the you, unconditional election, is the same thing as the Calvinists, their version of predestination, then that proves that salvation is conditional. It's not unconditional. Their version of predestination, that God chose before the foundation of the world, who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved, and there's no way they can change it either way, is proven false by that verse. The sim- one of the simplest verses in the whole Bible. The Calvinists continue to hold on to their idea of predestination, their idea of the unconditional election, because they choose to believe in a religious system instead of accepting what the Bible says. Isn't that what a lot of churches do? They want to believe in their religious system, you know, what will bring in the most people, what seems right to them, what's the most politically correct, what they enjoy the most, what will bring in the most contribution instead of what the Bible actually says. That's the way most churches are. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. How about 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14? It says, God hath, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Well, that maybe that's going to teach the Calvinistic version of predestination. He's chosen to salvation. It's unconditional. No. It says, chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit, and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's talking about choosing people to salvation, sure enough. But he chooses them through belief of the truth. He calls them through the gospel. Many are called, few are chosen, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. So everybody's called or asked by God to accept the gospel, but only a few accept it, only a few believe. So the very verse that the Calvinists might think would 
teach their version of predestination actually says that he chooses us to salvation through belief of the truth. It's conditional. He chooses to save everybody that believes in Jesus. How about Hebrews 5, 9, which I quote on this radio program a lot because I'm dealing a lot with churches that teach all you got to do is believe in Jesus. You know, the Calvinists believe you're going to be saved even if unconditionally. Then a lot of churches that don't believe Calvinism say, no, it's conditional upon your belief. They say that's all you got to do. How about Hebrews 5, 9? Talking about Jesus, it says, he became the author of eternal salvation and to all them that obey him. Now, that's pretty plain and simple. Jesus is the author or source of eternal salvation, but only those who obey him receive it. The fact that we have to obey him to receive eternal salvation, does that make us the source of our own salvation? No. This verse clearly says you've got to obey Christ to receive eternal salvation, but he's still the author or the source of it. He's still the one that died for it. He's still the one that provides for it through his precious blood. But obedience is a condition we have to meet just like belief. We don't earn our salvation either by believing in Christ or obeying Christ. Both are treated the same in effect in the Bible. They're both just conditions we have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. If you have a Bible question or comment on this or any other topic, Bible topic, give us a call at 877-655-6755. How about 1 Peter 1.10, where it says, Brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Well, the Calvinists will talk a lot about election, and their version of it means God elects the people he wants to save, and they don't have any choice about it. He elected them before the foundation of the world. But this says, make your calling and election sure. That doesn't make any sense if the Calvinists are right, because we have a part in our election. Election, the elector, simply the people God has chosen to salvation. But obviously, we have a part in that. We, it's conditional, because we have to make our calling in election sure. There's something we have to do to become part of the elect. Of course, God's part is Jesus dying. He died for everybody. That makes it to where anybody who wants to can be part of the elect, chosen to salvation. But we have to make our calling and election sure. We have to trust and obey him in order to be part of the elect. God's part, provide the salvation through the death of Christ. Our part, meet the conditions. Us meeting the condition, trusting and obeying, that's not the thing that saves us or earns our salvation. That's the things we have to do to be saved by the thing that does earn our salvation. The death of Christ, the blood of Christ. Hey, we talked about belief. We're looking at passages that clearly prove that salvation is conditional. And when we prove that, we prove the Calvinistic version of predestination is wrong. That God chooses who he's going to save, Pat or Joe, before the foundation of the world regardless of what they do. John 8, 24, Jesus said, if, if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. That clearly makes belief a condition of salvation. How about Acts 10, 43? Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Clearly makes believing a condition of salvation. God didn't choose that Pat's going to be saved before the foundation of the world, regardless of what Pat does. No, I either believe or disbelieve of my own volition. If I believe, then I'll be saved by the death of Christ. And if I don't believe, I won't. Romans 3.26, talking about Jesus, the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. We're talking about God. You have to believe. 
John 3, 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the Son of God. you got to believe in order to be saved. John 3, 36, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. you got to believe to be saved. You have to meet that condition. The you and tulip is wrong. It's not unconditional election. It's conditional. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be condemned, Mark 16, 16. So you've got to believe and be baptized to be saved. Both conditions are necessary. What about repentance? Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So repenting of your sins is another condition of salvation. It's a condition. It shows that this Calvinistic idea of unconditional election is false. We're showing it from many, many passages that are very, very clear and very simple. How about Acts 2.38? Peter told some believers, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You see, salvation is conditioned upon repenting and being baptized. Acts 3.19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 8.22, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Repentance is clearly a condition a person has to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. So unconditional election, as taught by the Calvinists, is false. As we mentioned, baptism is an essential condition of salvation. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. We read Acts 2, 38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Saul of Tarsus was told in Acts 22, 16, arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. You can't be saved simply by believing. Saul believed on the road to Damascus, but at least three days later, He's told to be baptized to get his sins washed away. We're all agreed it's the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. The question is when. With Saul, it wasn't when he believed. It was when he was baptized. Baptism is a condition you have to meet in order to be saved by the blood of Christ. If you have a Bible question or comment, feel free to give us a call, 877-655-6755. How about Galatians 3.27? For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see that? Baptism is the condition of salvation. Salvation is not unconditional. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure wherein to be even baptism doth also now save us. God wouldn't have said that if we didn't have to be baptized to be saved. Salvation is not unconditional. It's conditioned upon belief, repentance, and baptism. Obedience is the condition of salvation. Jesus said in Matthew 7.21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. So you have to do the will of my Father, do the will of God the Father, in order to enter into heaven. Acts 10, 34 and 35, God is no respecter of persons, but he that worketh righteousness, fears God and works righteousness, is accepted with him. So you have to work righteousness. That's the condition of salvation. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 8 and 9, them that obey not the gospel shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Obeying the gospel is a condition of salvation. James 2.24, you see then have that by works, a man is justified, and not by faith only. Works and faith are a condition of salvation. 1 Peter 1.22, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Obeying the truth is a condition to have your sins purified from your sins. 1 John 2.17, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You have to do the will of God. To 
as a condition of salvation. Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are they that do his commandments. They may have the right to the tree of life, may enter in through the gates into the city. You have to do God's commandments in order to receive salvation. Ron from Arizona. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, you were talking about what you have to do to be saved. What about the thief on the cross that Jesus said he'd be with him today in paradise? Yeah, you know, if you read Hebrews nine fifteen through 17, it talks about the Testament. Talking about the New Testament did not go into effect until the testator died, Jesus Christ. So the thief was forgiven while Jesus was alive. He lived under the Old Testament law. The New Testament law that requires baptism didn't go into effect, according to Luke twenty four forty seven until the day of Pentecost. So people didn't have to be baptized. The thief didn't have to be baptized for the same reason Adam and Eve didn't have to be baptized or Moses didn't have to be baptized or, or Noah or Abraham. Their law did not require baptism. But the New Testament law does. You see what I'm saying, Ron? Well, they had to live by the law then, and nobody was able to keep the law. Ron, i got to go off the air. Thank you for your call, Ron. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753.